right. Welcome back to another episode of Vernacular Podcast. It's been a while since we delivered you a food news episode, but here we are. I'm joined in the studio by the beautiful, the inimitable Sally. And on the other line is Sally's sister, Elena. Elena, welcome back to Vernacular. Hey, happy to be here. And thanks for giving me an excuse to escape the Valentine's Day party that you'll hear in the background. Oh my goodness, that sounds horrible. Yes, we will give you as many excuses as you need. (laughs) You know, to be honest, to be honest, if the waffles were real and not Eggo waffles, then maybe there'd be more of an appeal. What do you have against Eggo waffles? (laughs) Look, if you're going to pull a Leslie Nope Valentine's Day party, you have to do a real real waffles. Oh, oh, yes. I see. So it's even in line with all it's, of her. It's thematic. It's yeah. a thematic Valentine's yes. party. Wow. Well, I hear mm-hmm. I hear the uh, Valentine's party going on in the background. It sounds like a good time there. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll hurry this up and you I can get back know. to it. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. <laughs> what do you have against Valentine's parties, Sally? It's just the socializing. <laughs> We well, can take all the time we need, guys. All right. Sounds good. Well, I will get us started, though. What we're going to do is each share two to three food news items with each other. And haven't told you guys this yet, but I've got a little little activity for you both at Ooh. the end of today. Oh. In addition to our taste test? In addition to the taste test. Yeah. Actually, wow. do we have the stuff for the taste test? We should probably... We'll, we'll work just on pause that. and go get okay, it. Okay. We'll pause I mean, it's all refrigerated. It. All right. Well, before we get started, just a little a little fun thing for you. I know you guys both like sparkling water. Mm. Did yes. you did you know that Jelly Belly just released their own version of sparkling water? Ew. No way. It's the Jelly in Bean Factory? The Jelly Belly flavors, yeah. Ew. And it is no sweetener, no calorie, obviously no sugar. Like pickle flavored? Uh well wait, let me let me wait, wait, let me wait. read no, no, you no. the and no jelly bellies are they're, they're like sweet, right? So let me let me read but you some the some of them are not. Oh really? Okay. I, I guess I've only had the sweet ones. Uh, let me read the, the inaugural lineup. Watermelon, pina colada, French vanilla, lemon lime, orange sherbet, pink grapefruit, very cherry, and tangerine. I'm sad to say my favorite juicy pear is not in this lineup. Oh, pear would be juicy good. Pear. So I was going to say, though, the if you drink the LaCroix pear flavor, it takes it tastes absolutely like a Jelly Belly minus the sugar. Oh, oh okay. Funny. Well, I'll have to try that. Oh, yeah. We oh, yeah. don't really drink LaCroix anymore because the, the Kroger alternative is cheaper. Uh, uh, so that's indeed. what we generally go with. Uh, you can find, so if you're interested, you can find these Jelly Belly ones at jellybelly.com or jellybellysparklingwater.com or at Hy-Vee. Where is Hy-Vee? I know I've heard of that. Is that a California chain? I think it's East. East, okay. I'm not sure though. Fair enough. But yes, Elena, on the Aldi Sparkling Water, we tasted it when we were with you in Chicago and that was very good. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's uh, and it's so cheap. I'm. It's very satisfying. Uh, Zach, Hyvee is in the Midwest, I believe. Oh, Illinois, okay. Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Did you just None look this up? Me, wow, you listed that like you really knew what you were talking about. <laughs> impressive. Very impressive. Suspiciously impressive. <laughs> Suspiciously impressive. Especially since I haven't been to a couple of those states. <laughs> All right, Sally. I think you had a very little thing to share before we get started. Oh yes, just a very little thing. Um, it wasn't a little thing at the time, but NPR recently released a warning episode or a warning post before the Super Bowl, letting people know that they should be careful to avoid the pits of an avocado hand injury. Uh, and I wish that they had released that many years ago before I got my avocado hand injury. Yeah, I think we told the story before, but basically you were slicing into an avocado and your method, and which I, was, I think you've revised oh yes. since then, oh yes. was to just stab the pit while holding the avocado. <laughs> to get it out. Turns out if the pit is rotten already, Ooh. it will not so stop bad. the knife. So bad. And so you stabbed oh, your hand. Wow. Stabbed my hand through the pit. It was bad. Now I definitely do. I mean, 
yeah, it's more the, I the don't whack. Know. Yeah, the whack. the whack method. The yes. whack. What is the whack method? Well, you just hit. You, you just whack it with the blade. Yeah, instead of stabbing it to dig it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's less, like less concentrated force, so it won't just go through. Okay. Right, yeah, and you're not sense. doing the tip; you're doing the the, the, the long blade. blade. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, anyways, just a uh, just a yeah. warning for Beware those the who hand injuries. didn't know about that. Yeah. But you, did you have a little thing, Zach? Uh, well, the jelly belly thing was one. I, I also found one. We were actually at Trader Joe's today, Sally, when we were looking for some stuff to do a taste test with. We saw the kale naki, noki? Yes. Noki, right? Naki. Or gnocchi? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm not even going to try that. So there's a kale one. This is on top of the existing gorgonzola tomato sauce, mozzarella stuffed, cauliflower, sweet potato, and chocolate varieties. So Trader Joe's is just going They're just all really out. really going in? Wow. With their yeah. Gnocchi? That sounds good. Gnocchi? Yeah. That sounds mm-hmm. good. Okay. Gnocchi. We'll go with that. Okay. Well, that was the little thing that I had. Let's go on and start. Elena, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Well, I'm sure you guys have heard, or maybe you haven't. I hope you have, that Burger King is offering the Impossible Whopper, which have, is yes. supposedly vegan. Oh, yes. yeah. We've heard of the Impossible Burger. We, I guess, did we taste it one time? Yes, we've tried it. Okay. Yeah, so this is a big deal, I guess, for Burger King, except that there's a little bit of controversy around it, that it's not completely vegan compliant for one thing you can't, certainly can't order it as is and let it be vegan compliant it can be sort of, of cheese, vegetarian right? the cheese the mayo but also the fact that it's grilled on the same grill as a bunch of meat products right. so it's oh, not that like, seems like a basic mistake well i would imagine that the buns right. also have egg in them oh yeah yep. you would think so hm. yeah and i'm not sure if they're i think they might be buttered um and, yeah. So anyways, there's uh it's like, well, they're trying really hard, but let's be honest, you can't really make an impossible burger taste as good as a Whopper anyways. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, I haven't. Have you guys had a chance to try it yet? The impossible Whopper? So I've not tried the Whopper at Burger King, but I have had the impossible burger. And okay, we so were living in Austin same- and they, they did their little road show, right? They go around and they would just give people these samples so they could try it yeah didn't they come to your work yeah they handed out uh like slider sized burgers basically and they're like try it tastes just like burger and i tried it and i was like it's fine but it does not taste just like burger. <laughs> yeah. like every vegan or vegetarian burger yeah so whenever i watch those ads from from uh the impossible company about how it tastes just like meat uh i'm just i just i don't buy it because it doesn't taste i mean it's fine right i'm not right. It's, it wasn't bad but it's not the same thing as a burger yeah Right. So, and the whole goal is, you know, there are plenty of people who are trying to get protein from other sources besides meat, which is great. Why not? You know, there are so many great sources of nutrition in the world besides just what we've grown up on. But first of all, who's going to Burger King for nutrition, for one thing? Right. And why, if if your goal is just to get protein from other sources, then why do we have to turn a burger into this? I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't get it. So, I have had uh, one really good friend um, who was a vegetarian for a very long time, and uh, and because she hadn't eaten meat in like a decade, things like this would taste good to her. So that maybe makes that's like, yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like it's a small group of people, just like you said, Zach. As they're showing in commercials that people are, you know, your average person who eats a, a Whopper on a regular basis is trying this and enjoying it. I just don't buy it, to be honest. So well, I, I think that. The reason that some of these things have so much purchase in the consumer economy is because they end up as mechanisms for like the soothing of consciences. 
because mm-hmm. we as a humanity are and why by we i really mean like americans people in the like post-industrial developed western world are pretty cavalier in how we treat the environment and so you imagine someone who's pulling up through the burger king drive through in their gas guzzling cadillac escalade and they're really? like, you know, how can I, how can I be environmentally conscious? More I can go with the sustainable option and I'll get the impossible Whopper. I thought you were going to say soothing of consciences for Burger King executives. So that's probably some of that. Too. I <laughs> think they just want to make money. Mm. I mean, their whole, their whole chain is based on beef. I think they're just, they're yeah. just trying to tap into a market yeah. and, and, you know, capitalize on a, on an opportunity. Yeah. Well, because the other thing about the impossible Whopper, I think it's, um, it's uh the halo effect a little bit too people think that oh if it's if it's following some sort of a trend veganism vegetarianism then somehow it's healthier for me Mm, but the fact is it has roughly the same number of calories as a traditional whopper and to be honest if you're talking about what's the healthiest part of a whopper it's probably the burger anyways (laughs) yeah that's right i mean the, the nutritional profile of both the impossible burger and the beyond meat burger uh they're they're not good and uh, they also, you know, the the data is still coming out and will take years to come out, frankly, about how, uh, you know, how, what the long term effects are of eating a diet that's based on these plants, uh, these plant based meat substitutes. So I'm not talking about an alternative, right? Like a, a plant alternative would be like your traditional uh, Boca Beans burger, right? And, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. This, is a, this is a meat substitute that's plant based. And I mean, fundamentally, these things are created in a lab. Uh, and it's a it's a fundamentally different thing than throwing some. Yeah, I guess I wonder how many actual vegans, because it seems like veganism is a lot about natural eating. And so I just wonder how many true vegans are trying these plant based laboratory created substitutes. I don't know. It also sounds, which is surprising to me, that um, Burger King isn't they didn't invent their own kind of vegan burger. They're just selling the impossible burger which has already been available at places like red robin and other burger joints already so it just seems a little bit odd that they're just it's like as if burger king started selling boca burgers you know right um instead of creating something new for themselves uh you know for their own company something unique or trying to improve something that's already existed they're they're just adding to their menu something that jumping on the bandwagon i mean to them. i think it's I, yeah. I get it from burger king's standpoint i think it's a win-win for burger king and impossible or Impossible has spent years developing this literally in a lab. Uh, I've been watching mm-hmm. this company for several years. In fact, Hop Dottie really? Burger Bar was one of, the, one of the first restaurants in America to have the Impossible Burger on the menu um, when we were living in there in Austin. And, uh, and they've poured you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital, not just to the research and development, but also to the marketing for this. Brand. And so Burger King had an opportunity, instead of spending their own money on doing that, to just partner with another company and basically say, Hey, we will instantly give you uh, national and possibly international distribution right off the bat. Yeah, and exposure. And, and, and we'll just piggyback off of this this kind of plant based momentum that you have because of the money you've poured into your marketing campaign already. So I get it. I'm just really skeptical on the Impossible Burger itself. Uh, you know, on on why people eat it, on whether or not it's worth eating from a nutritional standpoint. I'm also sold. Frankly, I haven't seen the numbers uh, on how sustainable it actually is, but I suspect it's not as sustainable as people think hmm. should we go on to the next one yeah do you want to go next or do you want me to? uh yeah i'll go next okay so on this idea of plant-based substitutes mm. check this out i'm looking at an article from foodandwine.com updated yesterday 
Is insect fat the new butter? Oh, no, you stole one of mine. Oh, really? That was one of yours? I definitely saw that. Oh, man. New research says (laughs) as long as you don't use too much of it, sure. And this article goes on to talk about insect fat and how insect fat can be a partial butter replacement. Now, it stops short of saying that you should just, you know, substitute one for one everything that you cook uh, currently with butter. Because it only tastes, you can't, I guess, it only tastes the same if you use less than replace less than half of it yeah, so i think basically insect fat does not taste identical to butter yeah it has a similar fat profile which is why you can you can use it as a substitute as long as it's less than half of right? yeah well they were just when doing some testing and, and they were saying like consumers couldn't really tell a difference if they tasted a muffin that was made with all butter and a muffin that was made with half insect fat half butter and so if you uh, i think they had like a cookie uh that they, try, that they tried this in and at the 50 percent mark uh, some people could taste a difference. Okay. Tastes, tastes a little bit uh, in, insecty, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't really know what insect I know, I don't know. fat tastes, tastes like, but it says, yeah. uh, this, is, this is funny. Insect fat is a different type of fat than butter. Who would have thought? Uh, insect fat contains lauric acid, which provides positive nutritional attributes. It is more digestible than butter. Moreover, lauric acid has an antibacterial, antimicrobial, and antimycotic effect. Wow. That means that it is able, for example, to eliminate harmless various viruses. Wow. Why would you care about eliminating harmless viruses, bacteria, True. or even fungi in the body, <laughs> allowing it to have a positive effect on health? It reminds me of the cricket flower. Yes. That whole phenomenon. Exactly. Which is still a thing, but apparently the problem is... Uh, it's so I, expensive. I had a, well, I had a food engineer talking about this. Um, it's expensive because it's so hard to, to, manufacture. to clean the crickets. Yeah. You have oh, to, to clean, clean the crickets them. before oh, you grind right. them up, because otherwise Ooh. you're grinding up all the nasty stuff, too. So that's hard. Whoa. I don't know how they do this with the insect fat. But the interesting thing is I was thinking like, how do they, how do they, uh, cause I've heard about cockroach milk, right? That's a disgusting idea. Oh my. Um, what? Yeah. And apparently it's pretty nutritional. And so there's, you know, like people have talked about, Wait, what is it though? Uh, it's cockroach milk. Like what is cockroach milk? I guess it's what others feed their baby cockroaches. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's I... just, that's what I assumed. <laughs> wow. Maybe it's, I, I maybe it's from, understand. maybe it's from like insects... grinding up cockroaches. I don't know. Oh, yeah, no. I don't. I don't even understand. I didn't realize insects even had fat, though. I mean, they don't. Their systems don't work the same. I as... know, or milk. Yeah, they seem pretty lean to me, but apparently they do. And I was thinking, what uh, type of insects are they going after? And they said for the test that they're talking about, the fat came from black soldier fly larvae. Oh no! So sounds pretty disgusting. delicious. Can't sounds wait. so terrible. Coming soon to a hipster cafeteria near your insect vet wow oh my goodness. all right Sally, what do you have oh dear um so on a totally different note thank goodness <laughs> there is a batman themed restaurant that is opening in london that's awesome yes so it is themed after the movie you know and the the comic character gotham city all that we all know and love what's the what's the restaurant called it is um it's, I don't know. I don't know if it actually says. The Batcave? It's I named hope. after part, the part of Gotham where Bruce Wayne's parents were killed. Oh, Park Row. That's what it's called. Park Row. And they're going to take over this 18,000 square foot, 330 seat basement venue in Soho. And so they'll have this, they'll have the, what's called the Monarch Theater, which is named after the theater outside of where Wayne's parents were killed. These are all like very tiny little details that I wouldn't have remembered. Yeah, I would not get any of these references. But they cover all of your fine dining needs. It will serve a multi-sensory tasting menu 
and use projection mapping technology said to explore the psychology of heroism through food. What? So, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be a very you lost deep, me there at the deep end. <laughs> experience. Um, it's not going to be cheap, though. You have to pay around $60, depending on which restaurant you select, because there's going to be, I guess, multiple restaurants within this park row. And then about 150 if you dine at the Monarch Theater. That's so interesting. Are you looking at this picture that I found? Uh, yes, I saw that Very picture. cool decor. There's a, what is that, like an ice sculpture in the middle or something? Yeah, and it's very dark. This is all conceptual. And, it's in like an artist rendering. Yeah. But it looks, it looks very interesting. I don't look at this and think Batman, but I think of this and think like chic right. underground London restaurant. It's supposed to be, restaurant. oh, I guess I didn't say an immersive restaurant experience. And I didn't say this either, that there are three bars and five restaurants. So you have lots to choose from. I'm just, I'm just curious what they mean by immersive. Yeah. Like is a guy dressed up as Batman walking around? I don't know. Did you enjoy your dinner? <laughs> I'm not sure. There's, oh wait, here, there's, here's a little bit more information. So there's some areas like the Penguin's Iceberg Lounge, which will serve international food and live entertainment. Oh, that's the penguin then. What we're looking at this picture, that's a giant penguin in the middle. Oh, perfect. Okay. Because that's, I, when, I, when I think Batman, I think no penguin actually. <laughs> there's going to be yeah. a villainous speakeasy called Old Gotham City. And there's going to be, you'll, you can get British cuisine, which is um, at, at Pennyworth, oh, which is Blood inspired <laughs> by Wayne's butler, Alfred, of course. I would be totally in for the villainous speakeasy. That sounds like fun. <laughs> it just, it doesn't sound great, but uh, I would, it's very I mean, creative. 150 bucks per head. That's a little, little on the pricey for side. For the Monarch Theater. $60 if you go to the speakeasy. Oh, well, let's go. Let's book our tickets now. <laughs> All right, Elena, you're up. What's next? All right. Well, this is good news for me. Uh, living in the city, I there's a, apparently a project in the works to make to design genetically design a tomato for urban gardens. So, uh, tomatoes, of course, I mean they don't need a, a ton of room. There are probably plenty of people who grow tomatoes in urban gardens already. But this is a genetically engineered tomato plant that grows as a, a the stem is like a cluster rather than a vine. It almost looks like uh, like if you're looking at a handful of cherries or something like that. Oh, um, so interesting. Yeah, right. So it's a small are small the, plant. Are the tomatoes themselves small, like cherry tomatoes? Yeah, they're like cherry tomatoes. Okay. Um, but it, it looks like a, a cluster of them, like a cluster of currants or other kinds of berries. So, uh, yeah, so I thought that would be, it says the gene-edited tomato plants designed by this lab resemble a bouquet that fe features ripe cherry tomatoes instead of flowers. The cluster tomatoes have the advantage of maturing quickly, producing fruits th that's ready to harvest in 40 days. So, wow. uh, yeah, so it'd kind of be fun if there, if there were more uh, vegetables and other things like that produced specifically for people who are living in cities, which is an ever-growing number. Um, and, I mean, even in my own backyard, we have a probably like a two-foot by four-foot patch um, that actually gets enough sunlight during the day uh, or during the summer, rather, to, to grow something. But that's about it. I mean, the rest of it is um, it's shaded by other buildings and things like that. So it would be pretty cool if there were more things like this that were created. That would be great if GMOs didn't cause autism. <laughs> I was going to say, what are the downsides of the genetically engineered tomato? I'm kidding, though. I'm kidding about the autism thing. As we, we actually have, just, just for listeners who have not been listening to the show very long, it was a complete joke. I was being sarcastic. We did an episode a while back with a genetics scientist who works on plants and talked us through all the science of GMOs and how uh, you know, the, the GMO scare is 
vastly unwarranted and all these things. So that sounds, it sounds cool. Redesigning the tomato for an urban gardening environment. That sounds like a sustainable venture too, to encourage more people to grow their own vegetables. Yeah. I mean, I'm picturing these little, uh, you know, quarter city block, uh, like gardening communes that are becoming more common or doing it indoor in a warehouse environment where you have oh, yeah, uh, that's urban, true. urban gardens and warehouses. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is true. That is one thing about urban gardening that I like is the community gardens where you yeah. have to go and get a plot with other people. Yep. And that's kind of a cool. I remember thing. we lived close to one in England. We did not participate in it, but I thought it was cool. It was really neat. I think that was the first time I'd ever seen something like that. Yeah. There's actually a really cool one like that uh, within walking distance from my house. There. Do you have here- a plot yet? I don't. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to get one. Maybe I'll get one this summer. But they have uh, it's it's kind of a tiered garden. So it it ascends up to just uh, just near the um, uh, the well, in this case, it's the Metro, not the L, but the the train tracks that run by. Um, So the train tracks are, you know, probably like 30 feet above above the street and then maybe less than that but um the gardens are are tiered going up to that so it's kind of cool it's a piece of of property that no one would really want to build an apartment on or something like that there are probably restrictions about how close to the train tracks you can actually build but there are gardens that are available for people to rent and i see a lot of fun things growing there in the summers that's great. Um, but the other the other reason I thought of you when I found this one, Zach, is that um, they are working on this tomato plant with CRISPR. Ah, uh, yes, CRISPR. <laughs> We're well aware of CRISPR. <laughs> CRISPR-Cas9, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and we've talked about this as well before. There's a substantive difference, a and certainly a moral difference, between uh, employing CRISPR-Cas9 on plants for the benefit of increasing survivability and growability and using them on humans for uh, therapeutic purposes or um, uh, what's the, what's the word? word Enhancement. Enhancement purposes. Thank you. Now, I mean, and therapeutic, obviously there's a certain, there's a good argument made for therapeutic purposes as well. It depends on what types of. It just gets so complicated, et cetera. But But the technique itself is not immoral. Right. Plants, humans, not the same thing, (laughs) but good, uh, good contribution, Elena. Thanks for that. I just, I just thought it would uh, harken back to some old conversations that we've had. For sure. Definitely. I like it. Here's a, here's a little article I have about uh, conversations that maybe we will have one day. Here's the subject line or the, the heading, the headline. Elderly Brits reflect on their own mortality while making marmalade. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and here's the. Wait, hasn't, isn't that an eternal story though? Uh, right. <laughs> hasn't that always been the way that it is? I love it. Brits? So. Well, the reason this is an article now is because there is now a month-long correspondence in the pages of The Guardian in the form of letters to the editor where uh, septuagenarians and octogenarians are talking about their making of marmalade. Why marmalade? Uh, Well, because they're British. (laughs) (laughs) I just find this Makes me think of Paddington. uh, Yeah, totally. I find this to be an absolutely delightful uh, human interest story. So they're only talking about making marmalade? Yes. And their mortality. Uh, correct. Okay. <laughs> so this is very brief, but I'll just read you uh, a little bit. So first of all, this article says this has been going on for a month now. Uh, it appears as though this started on January 13th when a man named Terry Swan of Sheffield wrote to alert the Guardian, my wife has just made 18 pounds of marmalade. She is 77 and I am 78. Which of the three of us will last the longest? <laughs> <laughs> 
what are they doing with all that marmalade? And oh then, my um, goodness. They, they, she, she just started an Etsy shop. This is just great. A, a, a man named David Hitchin writes in responding to Mr. Swan. He says, congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Swan on their optimism in making marmalade at the ages of 77 and 78. I too have just made 80, 18 pounds. I live on my own and shall be 84 next month. Hope triumphant? Question mark. Wow. And here's a, here's a final they example. They love marmalade. Uh, Hazel Harrison, living in Norwich, says to the Guardian in a letter, My dear husband, who at 80 Norwich. plus makes delicious marmalade, has just labeled this year's batch the last hurrah. Oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so this that is, is really adorable. Positively wonderful. I wonder, is there a different, more than one kind of marmalade? I've always wanted to know that because I know Paddington likes orange. As in other than orange? I think so. Well, so marmalade specifically, I believe, you can check this on me, uh, check me on this, Zach. Uh, I believe you can make any sort of citrus into a marmalade, but I think that's what's different about a marmalade versus a jam or a jelly is that marmalade is made out of citrus. So you can have a lemon marmalade or grapefruit marmalade or an orange marmalade, but or a kumquat or any other kind of citrus, but that's what I think the difference is. So check me on that, Zach. I'm pleased to tell you, Elena, that Wikipedia has confirmed this. You have enlightened us correctly, and I believe you now because Wikipedia says you're right. Uh, It says, marmalade is a fruit preserve made from the juice and peel of citrus fruits boiled with sugar and water. The best known version is made from bitter orange, but it is also made from lemons, limes, grapefruits, mandarins, sweet oranges, bergamots, 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 what is that? Bergamot, that sounds And other citrus fruits. We'll go with bergamot. I don't know what that is, but there you go. French. Elena's correct. Citrus only. And the reason why that works is uh, with rind? most jams and jellies, you need, yes, you need pectin, fruit pectin. It's a, um, I believe it's like a protein that will actually turn it into a jelly. So it's not just like a really liquidy, but I think the rind of citrus already has whatever protein is needed oh, in order cool. for it to, yeah, thicken up like that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that. But anyways, you don't use pectin in a marmalade. Oh, that sounds that's great. This is really enlightening. Yeah, I'm so enlightened. Um, and I'm not just saying so, that. So much applicability it's to my life. It's actually so interesting. <laughs> I've always wondered. It's always good to get those like lifelong questions answered. I, I will say that I mean, on the Wikipedia page for marmalade, there's a slight excerpt that has for uh, that discusses marmalade in children's literature. Ah, uh, Paddington. It says, Paddington Bear is known for his liking of marmalade, particularly in sandwiches, and kept it in his briefcase wherever he went. <laughs> so true. Delightful. Absolutely delightful. All right, Sally, what's up? Okay, so mine is also delightful because Stanley Tucci, who is an actor, and I remember him in The Devil Wears Prada, and then also he was the husband of Julia Child in Julia and Julia. He is starting a TV show, a docu-series with CNN, where he's traveling around Italy doing in four episodes, I guess. Um, and he's, yeah, eating there and sampling different food, but also examining the history of the different places. He's going to Florence, Rome, Sicily, and Milan. And he just seems like the perfect person to do that because he's just so always in both of those movies. He was so cultured. And I mean, especially in Julia and Julia, he was very much into food. Um, so it just sounds like a really, really fun show to watch. And I hope that Netflix picks it up. That does sound good. Yeah. Okay. I've just got I've just got one more quick thing and then because we are running out of time I want to give you guys my little uh, activity. So my final article just very briefly is from sciencedaily.com. This is uh science news. The source is uh, the Technical University of Munich and it is about bees. Uh I love bees. They're very cool. St. Francis de Sales love bees. Yes. 
And this article is about how bees actually prefer a low-fat diet, which is very interesting. Okay. Uh, I mean, I just, it's really just interesting. Honey is, is low-fat. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no applicability to our lives from this either. But this is interesting. Uh, the researcher says the more fat the pollen contained, the less the bumblebees consumed the pollen. Huh. Bumblebees actually accepted death over having to consume the high-fat pollen. Oh, wow. That so is they would commitment. not go keto. <laughs> uh, yes, correct. They, bumblebees are not keto. The work group therefore concluded that fat in pollen adversely affects the bumblebee's reproductive capabilities and survival. How does fat get into pollen? Which is why it is being avoided. Maybe they just don't like high-fat pollen. I mean, but they, how, the what is high-fat pollen? What is high-fat pollen? Like, how would you... Flowers, some flowers produce higher fat pollen than others. What do I look like, Sally? A botanist? <laughs> My goodness. I just, An entomologist I don't know botanist? that well enough. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I specialize in uh, botanical ent- entomology. Interesting. Well, um, yeah, hmm. I just thought it was kind of fun. Yeah. Good old bees. Yeah. Very disciplined creatures, those bees. Yes. Like, no, I will not eat that. It's kind of like our son. I will not eat that and would rather or die. Or I would die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That guy. Okay. So, I've got a list here, guys. This is the activity. I've got a list here of the 25 strangest foods from around the world. Is I'm this gonna, our activity? I'm going to run you through 20 of these. And I'm going to pit them against each other. And you guys have to tell me which one you prefer to have. Ooh, okay. It, so, like, it's like an if you... Water gun to your head. You have to make a, dis- a decision. So it's if you, no, no, would I rather, no. What? Yeah, it's a, it's a would you rather, yeah. It's a, yeah okay. So let me just give you the first one as an example. Would you rather have a fried cow brain sandwich or escamole, which is uh, not exactly the same as mole, which is the Mexican delicious sauce. Uh, escamole is ant larvae harvested from the roots of the agave plant, considered to be a delicacy Ew. in Mexico. Oh my goodness. Sometimes even referred to as insect caviar. And I will add, this says on list25.com, they taste like slightly nutty butter. Might I suggest because of the insect fat? Yes. Uh, you had me at larvae. I'll definitely take the cow brains. Ew. Are you serious? Same. What is wrong with you guys? Larvae just makes me think of maggots. Oh, my and goodness. I can't do I that. I am 100% in on this escamole. It tastes like slightly nutty butter. I mean, how can you go wrong? Okay. Fine. Cow brain it is. Next matchup. Hakarl, which is typically eaten in Iceland. And I'm, what I'm reading here, I just want to give credit where credit is due. I'm going to be mostly quoting directly from list25.com, this article, 25 Strangest Foods from Around the World. So, hakarl, typically eaten in Iceland, this fermented basking shark is an acquired taste. Chef Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace, described it as the single worst, most disgusting, and terrible tasting thing he had ever eaten. Wow. Okay, so there's that one. Did you have that, Elena, when you were in Iceland? I don't think I did. Um, I think you would know. I think you'd remember. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, yeah, it was like everything was so expensive in, in Iceland. It was it was tough to. You just um, ate bananas the whole time. Well, it there it was like you could go to the really good restaurants where everything was super expensive, or they had just had a bunch of ripoffs of mm. of American McDonald's. kinds of food. Okay, well, so, so whale. It's Carl is their first option. The basking shark fermented, shark. of course. And then bird's nest soup, which is a Chinese dish. For hundreds of years, the Chinese have used saliva nests in their cooking, primarily in the soup. While there are many varieties, bird's nest soup as a whole is one of the most expensive foods on the planet. The red nest variety costs up to $10,000 per bowl. So this is literally the nest of a bird uh, turned no, into this a is, soup? This is, it says saliva nests. Yes, what is that? Is that a type of bird or is that meaning saliva is in your mouth? Uh, no, I... Uh, no, I think it's the bird saliva that they use to make their nest adhere. Oh, my. I, I'm making this up. I don't know. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. So what do you think? Hakarl from Iceland or Bird's Nest Soup from China? Both sound so oh intriguing to me. It's hard to decide. I guess I'll try the fermented shark. I think I go fermented shark as well. I mean, the bird's nest yes, soup, I have I a picture here. It looks shark. like there's a bunch of snot floating in it. And so, you know. Oh, I just remembered about the fermented shark. The reason we didn't have it, we were going to. Uh, that's why I, was, I couldn't remember. We were going to have it, but my friend revealed while we were in Iceland that she was pregnant, so we avoided it. <laughs> oh, well, that's probably wise. Yes. All right, next matchup here. Um, wait, Elena, did you say what you'd rather have? Did you go with shark? Yeah, I'd go okay. shark. I almost tried it. I wish you had. You could tell us if Anthony Bourdain was correct. <laughs> okay, next matchup. We have Surströming, which is a northern Swedish dish consisting, consisting of fermented Baltic herring, and it's usually sold in cans. While they're being shipped, the cans sometimes bulge due to the ongoing fermentation. Wow. Recently, a study in Japan found that Surströming re- releases the most putrid odor of any food in the world. Wow. All right, that's option one. Option two is sanakji. Like many Eastern foods, this is served raw, very raw. The chef dismembers a small octopus before your eyes and seasons the pieces with sesame oil. Oh. Of course, that's if he can even hit them. Many times they are still moving on the plate as you reach for your chopsticks. Oh. Oh my goodness. Okay, I was going to say yes to the raw octopus. I am definitely in on the raw octopus. I mean, it sounds Heck more like yeah. sushi and I do like sushi, but if it moved, that would be a little difficult. Would I... Elena, you don't have the benefit of pictures, but uh, Sally does here. Wow. Did the, did the pictures change your mind? Uh, oof. One looks like horrible sardines, and the other looks like brains, I think. The octopus looks kind of like brains. Yikes. Um, I guess I'll still go with the octopus. Okay. Elena, how about you? I would probably be inclined to go with the octopus without the benefit of pictures. I don't know. I have eaten live shrimp, though. So, oh my! And I've eaten insects. So, wow, delicious. See, oh, there are the photos. Yeah, I just sent them to you. Wow. All right, there you go. Oh my gosh! All right, next matchup. Octopus, yes. All right, octopus. Yeah, good decision. Uh, Next matchup: Rocky Mountain oysters, which of course are bull testicles, peeled, flattened, and deep fried. Oh, or, I was like, I've heard of those for some reason. Or Kopi Luwak, which is one of the world's most expensive varieties of coffee. Uh, you've probably heard of this one, but it has been previously defecated by a small mammal native to Southeast Asia. The, uh, the intestinal enzymatic processes in this mammal really bring out the best in the coffee, apparently. Wait, well, how does that work? The animal eats it off the ground. The coffee digests it, and poops it out again. I have heard of this. Yeah. No. Wonderful. Yeah. No. Just, I, believe, I believe it's like washed before it's roasted. Oh, I, I would hope so. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I would definitely hope so. But yeah. I, the, yeah. <sighs> so what do you think? Boy. What's the verdict? I think I'd go with the coffee. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Excellent choice. Coffee. You can doctor yeah. that up. Excellent choice. Okay. Here's your next matchup. The lutefisk, which is another Scandinavian delicacy made, made from aged stockfish and lye. Lye, of course, referring to the corrosive alkaline substance. Oh. They soak the fish in that for several days. Then they take it out of the lye. Uh, and then it's so corrosive, you couldn't eat it right away. You would die or at least experience uh, massive internal organ damage. So instead, you have to give the fish a week-long bath in cold water so it becomes edible again. I mean, Sounds sign like me strigonona. up, right? Or... Kasu marzu, which is from Sardinia, it is sheep milk cheese containing, ooh, 
live insect larvae. Okay, you have me at larvae. I'm choosing the loot fisk, definitely. Loot fisk, huh? All Reminds right. me of Kirsten. Elena, what do you think? I I just can't do guys. I have a thing about grubs and and that's, insect yes, larvae. Yes, I that's just what can't I'm do it. Yes, no. Yeah. Maggot. I just Plus, watched The Lion I mean, King with our daughters though, and no, slimy yet satisfying, and still no. alive. All right, so I'm gonna try the uh, I'm gonna try the sheep milk grub dip. Ugh. Keep All going. right, next one. You're just trying to ruin my appetite for our taste test. Mopane or Mop... Oh, I totally forgot about the taste test. I got to hurry. Yeah, you Mopane really do. Mopane or Mopane. Uh, which is... Uh, yeah, don't expect you to know what that is. <laughs> uh, it's a caterpillar, an important source of protein for millions of people in Africa. Is typ- it alive? Typically dried out and eaten as a crispy snack. Or, ooh, the tuna eyeball, the eyeball of a tuna. Crispy, Tastes something crispy like snack. squid, should I'll, be boiled prior take, to consumption. I'll take the crispy snack. <laughs> All right, Elena, what do you think? Crispy snack, yeah. Sorry, Sally and I, it must be genetics, but we're kind of... <laughs> <laughs> we're in sync on this. Here. All right. Yeah, I, it's okay. You two can balance each other out. I'm going to give you two more matchups here uh, because we are running short on time. Okay, good. So the first one is a ping, which is considered a delicacy in Cambodia. Elena, not sure if you encountered this during your time in Thailand, but uh, this is fried tarantula. Oh, my. Okay. Well, here's a little picture, Sally. Of that. Oh, my word. It's fried whole. <laughs> it's fried whole. It is a whole tarantula. Or right. uh, kosh, which is a, uh, a Persian dish, head and hoof. Uh, the main ingredient is cow feet. The head and the stomach are also featured. Yeah, the cow. Oh, man. I'm going fried tarantula. No. Elena, what do you think? Never. Seriously, Zach? Yeah. Why would you go with the fried tarantula? Because I want to be able to say I've eaten a tarantula. No. <laughs> no, no, no. That would be great. Okay, so I'm, Elena, I'm guessing you're going with the, uh, the Persian food. Yeah, plus I I trust Persian food. It's really tasty. Southeast Asian, I mean, Thai food is wonderful, but when it comes to insects, I mean, I've I've had them before. I think I've had enough. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. We'll end it there. Okay, let's turn on some elevator music while we go to our fridges and get our (laughs) true delicacies. It's taste test time. I'm going to crack open my organic, no-joke ginger juice shot. Yes. Did you hear that? Did you hear that crack? Oh, we hear Elena shaking up her juice shot. We should mention, by the way. Maybe I should have done that. This is, (laughs) maybe, uh, let's do that. (laughs) We should mention that these are both Trader Joe's products. This podcast is brought to you by Trader Joe's. (laughs) So we have an organic, no joke, ginger juice shot. I I don't even know what this is. We just saw it in the store and thought it looked interesting. It is a blend of coconut water, ginger and lemon juices with added cayenne pepper. You had me at cayenne pepper. And it does say to shake well, so I'm glad I did that. And I'm not sure what the point of it is, except to maybe wake you up. Let's try. Let's see if it wakes us up. Wait, I think, can I say what I think the point of it is? Yeah, sure. So ginger and lemon. Yeah. And especially because there's a little bit of cayenne pepper in there as well. Um, The ginger and the cayenne are anti-inflammatory. So it's supposed to kind of like. Um, it can be stomach. It can also, I mean, people are talking about how inflammation of your system is like the, the cause of all sorts of ailments these days, colds and sickness. So if you're feeling inflamed, take a no joke ginger juice shot. All right. All right. I'm going to try it. I was going to try it. Did you try it as well, Elena? Oh, no. Is it delicious? No. Let's see. It tastes Should like shoot it? it tastes like ginger, just like raw ginger. See, I like it. Oh, that's good. 
I'm all about it. I, I like Do you want the rest, lot. Sally? Uh, I'll have another taste, okay. but. Oh, I'm, I'm 100% in on that. It's just like. That's delicious. It's delicious? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would shoot one of those. I mean, wake up in the morning, <laughs> crack open my no joke ginger shot. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. You know yeah, you like it. Yeah. We're fans. What about you, Elena? I love it. I think it's delicious. I'll have to get another one. Okay. What's the next, next thing we have, Sally? Well, now that I'm feeling less inflamed, I'll try my almond butter. Yeah. Okay. Almond butter, coconut, Greek, low-fat yogurt. Yes. So Trader Joe's has some new yogurt flavors, and we decided on almond butter coconut, which sounds very good. Let's try um, it. Yeah. It has some almond butter coconut in it, apparently, or almond butter and coconut. It looks good. It smells good. I haven't tried it yet, but I did smell it. Ooh, it tastes yeah, it good. It does smell really good. I don't taste the almond I butter as much. smell a lot of coconut. Yeah, yeah. It tastes more coconutty, which I mean, we specifically didn't choose the one that was just totally coconut cream. And I don't know, this is a little disappointing that it doesn't taste more almond buttery. Because I love a good almond butter. Oh, I can yeah. taste the almond butter. You can taste the almonds? Yeah. Mm, okay. I love almonds, but I just, it, the coconut is overpowering. But I kind of feel that way about most coconut things. That mm-hmm. they're overpowering the coconut. Yeah. It's a really strong flavor. Yeah. I mean, the more coconut, the better. I love coconut stuff. It's but easy. I do taste almond butter there. It's, it's, it's more like in the aftertaste. Well, I'll just finish it and I'll let you That's know. That's fine. Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> knock it out. So Zach will finish the ginger and Sally <laughs> already did. Finish it's already the gone. <laughs> the ginger's gone. Well, I, all right. So, so what do we Good think? Stuff, Scale of one to 10. I am a, I'm an eight on the no joke ginger shot. Um, I'm a I nine. Guess, I like it a lot. Okay. If it wasn't two dollars for that shot, I would. Oh my god! Yeah, I think that's the thing, time. right? Wow. I, uh, the, yeah. The, the price drives it up a little bit. Yeah. What do you think, Sally? Uh, you like a five, six, six. Okay, not bad. And how about on this almond butter coconut Greek low fat yogurt? Eh, it's nothing to write home about. I mean, it tastes. It tastes good and creamy and coconutty, but it doesn't taste like to me. Like I'm just not getting a strong almond butter. I flavor personally to like it. like the Chobani coconut Greek yogurt more. Okay. But I'm also not an almond butter guy, so. I would have just gone with the coconut cream. I give it a four. Um, I guess for false advertising, <laughs> I'll give it a four as well. Ooh, Trader Joe's. I mean, it's, it's tasty. Uh, I just don't taste enough the almond butter, so I'll go with a five. Okay, sounds good. Well, anything we missed, guys, on food news for February 2020? I don't think so. All right, Elena, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have Guys, a great it's time. It's so great to be with you. Yeah. yeah. Next time you have to join us again in the studio. I hope that you, yeah, for sure. I hope you have a great time at your Valentine's Day party there. I hope you've successfully avoided it. Glad we could take you away for 45 minutes. Thanks for joining us. And to our listeners, if we missed anything or you want to weigh on what we said or give us some recommendations for what to taste test next time or let us know of some food news that you found that we didn't talk about, Zach and Sally, Z-A-C and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. You know that I'm feeling better than ever when I'm by your side.